Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I'm fired up to interview our special guest today, Steve Borden. Steve wrapped up his college football career at the University of Kentucky in 2015, and he spent the next several years bouncing in and out of the NFL training camps, tryouts, and ultimately never landing on a roster. However, during this time at Kentucky, he had significant exposure to the field of sports science through athlete tracking technologies. So we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. So he's leveraged that experience to acquire a position at Vald, where he spent three years working with pro teams and special forces groups to monitor athlete and warfighter performance. In 2021, Vald launched a sister company called Saga, which is a direct-to-consumer health technology brand which he now manages. Additionally, he's interested in practical strategies for overcoming fear and stagnation. So he discusses these topics both on solo episodes as well as with amazing guests on his podcast. He's married to his beautiful wife, Gazelle, and they have one son named Harper. Steve, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. You ready for this? I'm ready to do it. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm glad to have you on here and excited to learn more about what you're doing and your story and all the golden nuggets you have to share with our listeners. I've shared just a brief intro with them about who you are, kind of where you're at today. But if you could take us back and go a little bit deeper into more of your background and how you ended up where you're at today. Yeah, I think American football really kind of set the stage for me. I've been a competitive athlete most of my life to some degree. And my background in American football, as you mentioned, is probably what led me into a lot of the positions I'm in today. It's it's you know it's where I had my initial exposure to athlete tracking technologies, which is you know why I'm working with the company Vault that I am now. And I think it probably spurred an interest in me in improving physical and psychological performance. And so the combination of competing as an athlete and then being around this field of sports science and tracking technologies and all of that has just kind of fostered this spirit in me where I'm, I'm very, very interested in those things. I'm interested in seeing people succeed at the things that they're interested in. And so that's where the idea of the podcast came from and part of why we're talking today. I love it. So tell me a little bit more about your football career before we jump into this. I mean, you played how many years at UK? So I had a bit of a rocky road to get to UK. I had to go the junior college route. And so by the time I got to Kentucky, I only had two years left of eligibility which, you know, wasn't ideal. But to answer your question, I spent two years, my junior and senior year, competing at Kentucky. And what position did you play there? Played tight end. Hardly knew anything about the sport of football, which is hilarious by the time I got there. But there I learned how to run routes the right way without, you know, knocking into people. And I learned about basic coverages and things like that, that I was very ignorant to by the time I got there. And why do you think that was? I mean, I know when we were talking before, you were sharing how in high school you played quarterback, tight end, and maybe even defensive end. I can't remember, but you were a multi-position athlete. Is that why, or is it another reason? A good chunk of it comes from when I played in high school, I played eight-man football, which for the listeners, most people who watch football will know that there's 11 people on the field at any given time on offense or defense. But the style that I played was eight-man, so it's very different 
So a lot of the basic coverages are different. The looks are different. And so then I go off and I played at a small Christian college because I graduated high school. I didn't have very much interest. Nobody was looking at eight-man schools. And so I had a little bit of exposure at a small Christian school, but again, the, the level of competition there was very small. I played the end, just kind of used my athleticism to bully people around a little bit. And then from there, went to junior college and again, was still bouncing around different positions. So never really adapted to the game. There's probably a lot of things that I would do differently now. Looking back, I would have learned more about the game, but I get to Kentucky and I thought I knew what I was supposed to do until I got there and realized you're several years behind a lot of these guys from the mental aspect of the game. So there's a bit of an adjustment period there. And that didn't stop you? No, not at all. I mean, it never crossed my mind to quit or hang my head. For me, it was just a huge eye opener that there was a lot that I didn't know. It was definitely frustrating because I was used to just using whatever athletic ability I had to get things done, but you can't do that at a certain level. And, you know, when you're competing against really top tier talent, everything changes. But yeah, it all worked out, I think, pretty decent way. What would you say is one of the most valuable things you learned during those two years? Maybe about football, but maybe just about life, maybe just in general. I don't, I don't know. You can take that any direction you want, but that you learned during those two years at University of Kentucky. I remember a couple of things because you're an athlete, but you're also a student. And so I remember seeing students that weren't athletes, and this is not like a us versus them thing. I'd be having conversations with some of my friends that weren't athletes and they'd be complaining about the workload of class and finals and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking, all you're doing is, is school. Like that's your job right now. Like I'm going to spend 60 hours this week to some degree training football, whatever else, watching film. And so all that to say, it feels to me that my exposure to football really created this high threshold where everything else kind of seemed easy. And I imagine, you know, somebody who fought overseas, you know, all that, they would look at what I do as it's laughable in comparison, but they probably feel a similar way where after that, what else is going to seem difficult? And so it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that significant challenges, and that's relatively speaking, I don't think being a college athlete is that difficult in the grand scheme, but challenges in that sense really just set the stage for they increase your threshold. So to me now it's exciting in a lot of ways because I'm able to recall, yeah, that was difficult, but look how easy it made everything else. Mm. That would be one. And then the other thing is just, you know, I stressed every single day. Everything was about getting to Division One my whole life. You know, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to have a good game this week so my film looks good. And then I finally made it. I got my offer. I had a couple offers. I ended up choosing between Texas Tech and Kentucky. And the second I got the offer, there was no celebration at all. It was just immediately my mind shifted to, okay, now I got to be good. Now I got to get a starting job. And, you know, I got to make sure I get enough reps so that I get drafted and all that kind of stuff. And looking back on it now, I realized how much I stressed didn't accomplish anything. And so I could have gone back and worked just as hard, but enjoyed it a lot more mm. by understanding that there's always going to be a next hurdle and you may as well just enjoy the ride and adapt as you go. So good. And it does, like you said, it does not take away from the fact that we can grind, we can hustle, we can work hard, we can give 110% and still enjoy the process without stressing about it. I love that. When you worry, you suffer twice. I always remember that. Yeah, so good. So after college, you didn't quit easy because even though you weren't drafted by the NFL, which is just, it's amazing to me, just the level to even compete at a D1 SEC school like you did, you're in the top of the top of the top of the top of all youth athletes right out there, even high school football players out there. And then 
to go to the next level of the NFL, it's just, again, that much more, just such a small percentage. But that didn't stop you from trying, even though you didn't get drafted out of college. How long did you keep going that route of hitting training camps and tryouts and all the things trying to land on a roster? It was three years. Uh, so I finished in 2015, was in camp of the Jets, Chiefs, and then just three years of, you know, in and out phone calls. We think we're going to bring you in for camp. Never mind, you know, that kind of thing. And I got married in 2016. So, you know, there's the stress of you've got to put a roof over our head somehow. Right. And so I eventually just hit a point where I thought, okay, if I'm super lucky, if I have the best career ever, I'm going to be retired at probably 35 at my position and even 40, let's call it 40. Somehow I pull a Tom Brady and, you know, even at a skill position like tight end, I'm going to be a young dude at 40 and I'm going to have a whole life to do all these other things. Football is going to end at some point. Yeah. So that was what ultimately made me okay with the decision to pursue other things. So how much of a role did your father being an athlete and I know, as you were sharing with me, even to this day, I think you said 63 years old, still competing, if that's the right way to say it, in professional wrestling. How much of a role did what you know, grew up, I guess, seeing him do his thing, play, and what you pursued, and your determination and your resilience, I guess, to spend three years, even after college, going at the NFL thing two years into your marriage, it sounds like, if I'm doing my path right. Yeah, I, I mean... It played a role for sure. I, th I think the football thing, it came to my mind on my own. But what I really learned from him was anytime somebody asked me, what did your dad teach you? I always just the first thing that comes to mind, he taught me discipline. He taught me nobody owes you anything ever. You know, he taught me hard work and humility and all of those things that I think carried me longer than I would have gone without them. He definitely played a huge role. And then just watching it's one thing to teach. It's another thing to do. And I knew a lot of the early groundwork that he laid for the success in his career was before I was old enough to understand what was happening. But, you know, when I'd speak with him, I've heard stories of 330 days a year, he was on the road and he's doing house shows for 30 bucks. And he's like, I spent $25 to get here, you know? So I understood the level of work that he put in to get to where he was. And I knew that it wasn't just a lot of work for a year or two years. It was five, 10 years before he had any sort of material success. And so always having that, I was always tacitly aware of that. The nice thing about football too is nobody cares who you are. I never once got a starting job or stepped on the field when I shouldn't have because of who my dad was. Right. Coaches are worried about keeping their jobs right. and they're worried about making sure that the paycheck still comes in. And so I think that's one thing that I liked about football in comparison to wrestling for me. It would have felt potentially like I was riding the coattails of my dad a little bit. Right. I love your point that you said he was willing to grind it out for five or 10 years before he really had any measurable level of success. And I've heard someone say, you know, I've worked however many years for my overnight success. I mean, it almost seems like sometimes people have overnight success and certainly some do, but I think the overwhelming majority of people, at least in my experience that are successful in business and in, in anything sports, whatever. It's like there were many years of behind the scenes of hard work and all the things you've done for all these years that have helped you obviously lead to the level of success that you're having today, Steve. And um, I want to talk a little more about that. But before we do, you said you had worked three years with pro sports teams and special forces groups. I want to hear about that to monitor performance. I want to hear a little more about what that was all about or what you're doing today. 
So for the listeners, when you're watching football and you see Tariq Hill ran 22 miles an hour, those GPS units, that technology would fall under kind of the field of sports science and athlete tracking technologies more specifically. And so I had had some exposure to companies like that during my time at Kentucky because we used that stuff. We were the first university to ever start adopting using that technology at scale. And so because of my exposure there and obviously my time as an athlete, that's why I landed at the company Vault. So I spent a couple of years in and out of NFL tryouts, realized I got to get a real job. I got to make some money and ended up seeing something through LinkedIn that this company Vault that was much smaller at the time was looking for somebody to manage their Western region of the United States and Canada. And what that meant is Vault produces different technologies. We don't do GPS tracking, but there's different pieces of technology that athletes and in the case of military, I brought up special forces groups can use to track performance rehabilitation. So a simple example would be something like force plates. Vald produces force plates. You'll stand on them. You do things like squat and jump, and it's going to tell you very intricate details about how you're moving. Are you landing with more force on your left leg? Are you producing force more quickly on your right leg? Things like that. And so what I did for Vald over a period of, and I still do to this day, the last five years is help the professional college teams on the West Coast, you know, Western half of North America and military groups onboard that technology, utilize it to its fullest capacity and understand kind of what they're seeing from the data. Because it's one thing to have a bunch of data. A lot of people will wear whoops or rings and it's kind of cool to see some changes over time. But, you know, what do you actually do with that data? And so that's part of where my role came in. So you're working besides, I guess, college teams, special forces as well? Yeah, across pretty much all branches of the military. So the SEALs down in Coronado, Army, multiple different special forces groups, a ton of cool groups. Yeah, certainly. And what's the biggest technology that you are using with them and how are they using it? That's a good question. It really depends on the goal. So Vald has grown really fast. The leader of the company, Lori, is, is just a visionary guy and his, his co-founder, Sam, and Chris, who helps run the company, they're all visionary, big executors. And so we have, gosh, nine different technologies now. So it really just depends on the goal. But I would say in simple terms that the force plates are one of our top products. So they can be used in a number of ways. But a real simple one is managing levels of fatigue. So when athletes, and this will be the same use case for you know the Rams or any other team in the league as far as how they'll use these force plates, one of the ways they'll use them, which is, I guess, for war fighters when they're training or when they're deployed, and for athletes when they're in practice and in season, fatigue accumulates over time. And one of the first places that it manifests is power production. So the ability to produce force really quickly. And one of the things you can test on the force plates is relative power. So how, you know, how quickly is this athlete producing force? Not just how high are they jumping, but how quickly can they make that jump happen? So special forces groups and pro and college sports teams will use this tech to track changes over time and start to see hopefully early indicators of fatigue since power is very sensitive to fatigue. So this will be somewhat relevant. A lot of people wear whoop bands and aura rings right now, or even Apple watches, and they'll tell you your heart rate variability as a supposed indicator of fatigue. And that's somewhat unreliable, but it's also a lagging indicator, meaning if your HRV is low, something started days before, where something like power production is a faster, earlier indicator potentially of fatigue. So that was probably a longer rant than you asked for. But that's one way that the teams could use it. I love it. Is that the most common thing that you're personally working with is the plates? So 
a year and a half ago, I want to say, we acquired, Vald acquired smart speed. So when you watch the NFL combine, you see those lasers that athletes run through to track their 40 speed. So we have those systems in house now, which are really cool, you know, laser timing gate systems. And then there's other systems that will measure asymmetries and, you know, imbalances and, you know, strength and things like that. Some devices are a bit smaller and, and more useful in like the physical therapy setting. But yeah, it's kind of, we have the gamut over here. Love it. All new to me. So I'm just, I'm intrigued and so interested to learn more about that, but I won't belabor the interview here on that. What would you say, Steve, has been a practical key to your success? I mean, you're not a super old guy yet, but you're already doing some great things. You obviously had a great deal of success as an athlete in the top, who knows what point, whatever, whatever percent of all football players or any athletes for that matter. And now you're having a great deal of success here professionally. What would you say has been a key? Man, I would say practically speaking, thinking about the end goal, first off, accepting the fact that it's probably fairly simple, whatever needs to be accomplished. Like I, th I think we overcomplicate. We tend to think that the mathematical formula to achieving what we want is very complex, but as soon as we figure it out, the work's gonna be really easy. When I think in most cases, it's usually the reverse. The answer is really simple. It's just the work is hard. And so we spend so much time trying to make sure we can tidy up this perfect formula. And then once I have it figured out, once I have like the diet plan figured out, then dieting will be super easier, fat loss or muscle, whatever. And so first accepting, okay, it's probably not that complex. I don't need to spend a ton of time drawing the path from here to Canada. So starting with the end product and then just working backwards and the practical steps in that are I just time block my day. So I pretty much know exactly what I'm going to do every hour of every single day of the week. I don't go to bed the night before without understanding at 5 a.m. or whenever my workday starts. This is exactly what I'm going to do. And then I remove distractions when I'm in those time blocks. So I try to keep types of tasks together. So if you looked at my calendar, you'll see colors. I'm probably not doing anything novel. I'm sure there's plenty of people that do this, but creative work tends to be the stuff that would be the hardest for me to do in the afternoon. So scripting podcasts, scripting content, things like that, idea generation, I'm always going to do in the morning when I'm not going to get phone calls. And operational related work, I tend to push off to the afternoon because I don't have to be as on point to respond to emails and kind of check boxes off. So practically speaking, is just accepting that, okay, all I need to do is execute. Things will work out. I just need to execute and I need a time block. And so, you know, I look and I go, I have a creative block from 5 to 8 a.m. And these are the creative tasks that are going to be in that block. And then same thing for operations and growth and all the different categories that I have. I love it. I love it. It's very wise. What would you say has been one of the bigger challenges that you faced at this point in your life? First one that comes to mind is a recent one. My wife and I just had our first a daughter, Harper. So I've just mentioned that every minute of every day pretty much is allocated to something and scheduling. That has not been the case for the last six or so weeks. My wife also had a bit of a recovery period after that was extended longer than we anticipated for her pregnancy. So for whatever reason, Harper's not on a schedule yet at the first couple of weeks of life. She wasn't on my schedule. So adapting to that has been interesting. But again, I don't think this is a monumental challenge. It's just something that's in front of me. Right. I know you had mentioned earlier that one of the big challenges that you'd faced is just the whole identity thing after the football was no longer part of your life. I just know I identified with that because that was something that, you know, I played football in high school, but it was baseball that I played in college. And 
my identity was I was a baseball player. And my future identity was I was going to play major league baseball. At least that's what I believed. And that's what I told myself. I imagine you had the same belief. And then when that was gone, I really wrestled with what is my identity? What am I doing? Who am I? So that resonated with me. I was curious if that, what you kind of went through in that season of life and what kind of challenge that was. I think a lot of people deal with that. It may not be athletes. I know a lot of athletes do, but I'm just saying, I think a lot of people really struggle with their identity and what they're doing. Yeah. Before we started recording, we were talking about my body weight. You know, I played at 250 to 255 pounds, so 110 kilos for people overseas, something like that. And when I stopped playing, my body weight kind of stayed the same, but I lost a lot of muscle. And so there's the physiological component of like, I got pretty sloppy. I was not looking or feeling my best. So there's kind of this separate physical component of being super unhappy in that capacity. But then there is the element of the identity, which is what you were just mentioning, which is my entire life was spent thinking I'm going to compete at this level. So there's the internal identity side. And then there's also just practically speaking, every day up until now, I've had something coming up. We have game on Saturday. I have practice today, a film tonight. And all of a sudden that was gone. And I always thought that it would be easier to know what I was going to do next because I planned on, I'm going to play for 10 years, make a ton of money, and then I'll go do my own thing. I'll start my own company or whatever at the time that I decide. And obviously that's not how it worked. And so what ultimately led me to kind of accept that reality was just understanding, as I mentioned a bit ago, that even if I was lucky, I could compete until I was 35 or 40. And then I would have the rest of my life to do something else. And so the road was going to end. It was just a matter of when. And so just kind of having a, a very practical awareness of the fact that, look, your identity can't always be this because no matter what, you will not play until you're 100 years old. So either deal with it now or you're going to deal with it in 10 years. The time scale is the only thing that changed. So good. I would imagine during that three-year season and probably other times in your life leading up to that, you had some negative self-talk. I mean, this is a question actually, but did you have negative self-talk in that season? And how did you handle, if you did, how did you deal with it? Because you obviously dealt with it to continue moving and to keep going and compete at a high level like that with hopes of landing on a roster. You're not messing around. I mean, you're taking things serious at that point and had been for years. How did you deal with any negative self-talk? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. There was a couple vectors of the negative self-talk. One of them was just that it happened probably quicker than I would have thought. And so it was the first time in life that there was a finality to the fact that I didn't accomplish what I set out to do. I had faced a lot of struggles getting to college ball, but I made it. And so there was always this it's fine. You know, there's a road in front of me. It's difficult. I'm not there yet. I've taken shots to the head, but there's still a path to be getting there. And this is the first time that I had to accept the fact that this is over. So there was that element of it. And then the other element was just the fact of what do I do now? Because I had always kind of made up my mind that I wanted to do something and then I did it. I was in a confused place for a long time of just I'm actually unclear what direction I want to go. I always assumed that when this was over, I would just make up my mind that I wanted to do something and I would do it. And I seem to live in this floating state that I think a lot of people sit in, which is a very anxious place to be, which is a lot of unmade decisions. I sat in a place of 
I think I could do this. I think I want to do this, but I don't know. And I couldn't quite put the pieces together to figure out how to take that road. So then I would look at a different road and I just basically stared at an endless sea of opportunity in front of me and directions that I could go with an internal kind of awareness that I could probably pull off any of them if I spend enough time, but I just could not get the dots to connect. It was like, I don't know what direction to go. And I think that was probably the most difficult part of the time was going, am I not as sure of myself as I always thought I was? I, like, I always thought I was very sure of myself, but now I'm sitting here and I'm kind of unsure what path to even take and whether or not they'll work out. And so I think that was a bit challenging at the time. So what do you say to somebody that's listening to this episode right now? They may be 18, 20, 25, 30, or any age for that matter, wanting to pivot and change careers, but they're at that stage where they're in that, I'm not sure which direction to take, where to go. What would you say to them? What advice would you give to them? I heard Alex Hermosi say the other day, you can get pretty good at almost anything in about 20 hours of focused work, but most people spend years delaying that first hour. And for somebody who has a lack of clarity, when you're unclear, we tend to stand still and just analyze every direction that we could possibly go. And at that rate, you're pretty much in a forest and you don't know where to go, but you're also not accomplishing anything by standing still. And so you're much better off going the quote wrong direction in most cases, just by starting to find your footing. Because by taking some action, if you stop thinking about it as taking the perfect action and just start thinking about it as taking action, it's not even about going in the right direction. It's about becoming the person who takes steps. So you're just flexing that muscle, developing that muscle of being the type of person who is not paralyzed, who takes steps forward. And so as you go, I think you'll learn if you're supposed to go, you know, at a 30 degree angle and you're moving 34, you'll adapt and learn over time. And, you know, if a year later you realize I probably could have done something else, you just spent a year getting better and honing yourself and becoming stronger and more capable. And so, look, if you've been sitting in the same spot for a long time, don't expect any changes until you start taking steps forward. That's great advice, Steve. I love that. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice, what would that be? I think it would be to kind of what we mentioned earlier. I stressed a lot about everything and I didn't change anything. I stressed about every little thing that came up and how I was going to be the best I could be. And just looking back on it, realizing that you can through discipline and, and effort and realizing that it's possible, shift your mindset to just accept the current situation when there are things that are outside of your control. It'd be really simple. It would just be, just take a deep breath, enjoy the ride, work just as hard or harder, but enjoy the ride while you do it. So good. And kudos to you for figuring that out as quickly as you did. What advice would you give to someone else who's listening to this episode and they're right in the midst of their struggle? You know, they're trying to find their identity. It may be some other completely different struggle, some health challenge, relational challenge, financial challenge, doesn't matter what it is. What advice would you give to them? Man, I would just say almost everything is practical. I think there's this element of, you know, mechanical versus chemical, and we tend to wait for chemical changes first in the brain or in the body. At some point, I'm going to feel like I want to work out more often, or I'm going to feel like I want to do this when it's much more difficult to control the chemical, but we can control the mechanical. We can control the movement of our limbs in most cases, but we can control the action and the steps that we take. So 
all the things, if you sat down and said, what would the version of me that I was pretty proud of do? If you step outside yourself for a second, oh yeah, I'd probably work out consistently. Cool. I'll do that. Yeah. I know that when I drink a ton every night before bed, I end up feeling lousy the next day. So the good version of me wouldn't do that. And just make a list of those things and then do them and your life is going to be awesome. I love it. I love it. Just some 30 second type quick questions. Do you have a favorite success quote by any chance that you'd be willing to share? I think I just quoted it earlier. I think that Hormozy thing, like the practicality of it, like there's so many awesome quotes, you know, you don't lose if you never quit. I think that stuff is awesome. But at the end of the day, like I think it should hit home for a lot of people that just don't delay that first hour. If you dedicate 20 hours to something, you'll figure it out. You want to start a podcast? Be in a closet for 20 hours. You'll figure it out. Yeah. We've both learned that, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> just do it. Get started. Take that first step is, is the hardest. What is one habit that has helped you become successful? Maybe something you do daily? I mentioned the time blocking earlier. That's been monumental for me. The other one would just be frequent movement throughout the day. I think we tend to work and then maybe work out after. I try to take 10 to 15 minute walks multiple times throughout the day, separate conversation, but plenty of physical benefits to that, but also cognitive benefits. So getting the heart rate up is even better. Yeah. Frequent movement's a good one. Oh, that is a good one. 10 to 15 minute walks is your go-to besides your daily workout every, how often typically? I try to get through my block. So, you know, it might be 90 minutes. It might be two hours. Yeah. And bonus, if I can kind of get my heart rate up and breathing a little bit, there's some benefits, potentially some cognitive benefits to that burn you feel in your legs at lactate yeah, yeah. gets shoveled up to the brain. Some pretty cool stuff where you can get some really cool benefits from that. I love it. And then you live on the coast of Southern California where you've got perfect weather pretty much every day just to go take your walks outside, I'm sure, right? Well, it's the best. Stare at the ocean. You're going to be in a better mood. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what is one of the better pieces of advice you've ever received from somebody? That's a good one. I mean, just back to, I would say my dad, because most of what I've learned practically has come as a result of just understanding that excuses don't get me anywhere. Mm. And so just be disciplined. Don't make excuses. Nobody owes you anything has been the catalyst that's put me in the position that I'm in for most of everything else I've learned. That's great. And what is your dad's stage name or wrestling name? Uh, Sting. 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 Professional wrestler. I love it. And right here on my wall, you can't see it on camera, but directly to my left, one of my favorite quotes, since you mentioned it, is you can't deposit excuses. Said a different way, you can create excuses or you can create results, but you can't do both. So choose wisely, right? 100%. What's one book that you might recommend for our Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience, Steve? Are you much of a reader or not? I've started to adopt reading, but I tend to read. So like in the context of this, it's like right now I'm reading Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. So the context doesn't fit. But there's one, Evidence-Based Habit Building by Melissa Brown. She's a PhD in, in neurobiology and, and human behavior. That could be a good one. Evidence-Based Habit Building. Yeah. I have not read that. Sounds like something I would enjoy. And what would you say is your definition, Steve Borden's definition of success? I actually was fairly satisfied with the answer I had earlier, and I'm trying to remember it verbatim, but I think it's taking consistent action in the direction towards the set of goals that you have. So being able to execute consistently, everybody has different levels of goals. So if we try to define success by money or anything else, that, that definition doesn't extend broadly. But having a goal that is fulfilling 
and then taking consistent action towards it seems to be a good definition. I love it. Progress. Said it differently. Progress, right? You're progressing. You're making progress. I think we're wired for that. We all want to make progress towards something that we care to make progress towards in a good direction. So if we're doing that, you know, I think you kind of mentioned that earlier. You may have had a hard journey to get to a D1 SEC school, but you were making progress at least, and you could see where you were going. You know, when you get to the point where you can't see where you're going and you feel you're not making progress, it's hard to feel like that's a success in whatever area of life. And just being fulfilled in the, in the process is the heavy hitter because the process is the entire time. Right. <laughs> it's like, yep. even if you make the NFL or whatever your goals are, the new process begins when you get there. Right. hundred percent. That's so good. What excites you about the future? When you think about the future right now today, what is something that excites you? I think what I'm most excited about is just to be able to continue building what I've built. I think the podcast, I have have a refreshed ideas on how I'm going to execute there and just be able to enjoy the ride. I think I'm at a place now as of the last year where a year ago I had a very specific point in time where I realized the stress is literally always going to be there. So I've been pretty successful at just pushing out those things. And so when I'm working, I'm heavily invested. And when I'm not working, I'm heavily invested in that time with my friends or family or whoever else. And so I'm really excited to execute and take on bigger challenges over the next three to five years and allow my cognitive mental state to just remain very steady. Whereas I think before two years ago, I would have taken on more challenges and taken on more cognitive load as a result. That's good. That's something to be excited about. It's a challenge worth learning and mastering and something I still have to really be on point and on guard about to not let myself slip into the the stress mode because I am always adding to my plate and always like like you probably just wanting to do more and yeah. and accomplish more and impact more and it, and it's all good stuff but it's not good if we can't be where our feet are and yeah. we can't be in the moment with our family or our friends like you were saying so that's super important speaking of your podcast and wanting to grow that where can our listeners who may want to connect with you or follow along on your journey, where can they connect with you? Maybe the name of your podcast. I know you've got a couple, maybe uh, whatever you want to share. Now's your time. I'd love to let you do that. Yeah. So my personal podcast is called Momentum with Stephen Borden on any streaming platform. And the other podcast would be a podcast I do through Saga, my work through Saga involved. If you're very interested in the narrow topic of blood flow restriction, it's on that, which is the product that we sell. So yeah, both those podcasts are there. And then all my social medias are just Stephen Borden, Stephen with a V. Stephen with the B, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. Yeah. All right, right on. Well, hey, this has been fun. I've learned a few things. I always love learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I love to teach and I love to learn. So I'm going to give you any closing comment, any last word you may want to share with our listeners before we call it a wrap. Man, thanks for having me. These conversations, I, I hope that there's somebody that maybe has similar background or we we're talking earlier there's just certain things that sometimes a message hits from a specific person so maybe there's one or two people out there that if it hits and that's like why i do this i know it's why you do it as well it's really cool to see people be excited about steps that they've taken that they were maybe previously afraid to take or paralyzed to take so yeah thanks for the time this has been cool if you love this podcast grab some of alan's free resources on his website at alanblaine.com spelled A-double-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N dot com. 
You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contact page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.